So uh, where are you in your flight training, sir? Um, I actually haven't flown since October. Um, so I've got a I've got about 30, 35 hours, something like that. Um, but that's not just from Melbourne flight training. That's also from all the other activities I've done over the past several years. Um, but I am close to soloing, but I haven't flown since October because okay. I'm trying to get caught up on the videos. And once I get caught up on the videos, then we will do, um, we'll probably just hit the flying hard and finish it. And then I'll catch back up on the videos again. So I think that's kind of, I can't wait to see the landing videos. Well, you're about to see one and it's <laughs> awful. Cause I, I hope to finish it. I hope to finish it tomorrow and get it posted, but I suck. I like, I'm awful at landings. I mean, just so you know, I, I had a little sneak peek the, the other night. Mm-hmm. I, I like, you know, uh, connected to his machine. <laughs> I let him and, remotely see my uh, machine. I, I let him, he let me, <laughs> while, he let I was, me while I was editing. While he was editing. <laughs> so I saw, so he was showing me the footage. No, was no, it a horror movie? Great. No, 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 Dave, that's awesome. Dave, hey, that's a, great. Hey, it's okay. No, no. It's okay when the instructor pilot, has to check good, the airplane dude, again. You're fine. Yeah, this is uh, Some people just I'm like thinking, to watch the world burn. <laughs> I'm just so happy that he didn't do as well as I did last week. Oh, oh so bad. So bad. Oh, I can't wait. <sighs> It'll be out this weekend. You guys can laugh at me. Coming soon to a theater near us. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to make you a movie dude, poster. Landing, yeah, dude, your landings were fine. Yeah, you wait, wait till you see the video. <laughs> and you hear, like, you, you know, um, it, so here, here's, here's how bad it gets. Let me tell you how bad it is. <laughs> you know what, when I like call, when you call your child's name and when you like use their middle name, like, like, you know, like when my mom would go like, David Merrill, you know, you did something wrong, you know, like really wrong. Mm-hmm. So here I am in the cockpit. It's me and, and my flight instructor. Right. So anything that is said with him not pushing the PTT is directed to me. He doesn't ever have to use my name and he never does until I almost kill us. And he's like, look down the end of the runway, David. David, 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 David. I hope you had that tone too. That's a really good tone to have as a it flight was, instructor. It wasn't. You it, it wasn't quite that bad, but all the time. It was Only close. when I fly with Dave. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was classic. Well, moving forward, this probably will be. Good. I mean, yeah. now that you know it. <laughs> uh, look down at the run, Look down at the end of the runway, David. <laughs> it's like, okay, I got it, boss. Welcome to Logbook Memories, an aviation podcast about remembering and sharing our past flights. I'm David Allen, a student pilot. And I'm Michael Ladd, a private pilot. Guests on Logbook Memories look back through their pilot logbook to find a particularly interesting, adventurous, enjoyable, scary, or otherwise memorable flight. Then they come on here and share the story of that flight in their own words. Our next guest is ready to go, so let's mic him up. All right, and uh, for this episode of Logbook Memories, we'd like to welcome our very special guest, Abingdon Mullen. She is an ATP multi-engine. She's also a CFII and does a lot of teaching. And most of you will probably know her as the founder of the Abingdon Watch Company that specializes in 
Uh, well, I, I'd say I'd say sports watches. Uh, you know, they're for all kinds of things, diving and and other things, but especially aviation watches for ladies. Abingdon, welcome to Logbook Memories. Thank you much. Um, we you would love started that just just to explain. You started that because you wanted one of those watches, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. I was um, when I was learning how to fly. I got my private in. 2006, and that was going to be my graduation gift to myself was a pilot's watch. Um, but they didn't make anything for women at the time. So we started as the first pilot's watch for women. And Dave, you're right. Now it's uh, a really more of an adventure sports watch, um, but something's really classy. It's not like a G Shock, it's more like a Cartier that you can bang up. So, yeah, and I look at those watches and I'm like, I, I kind of wish you'd make them for gorgeous. men. Oh, my husband wears one. I mean, it's we don't discriminate. <laughs> I know. Uh, so uh, you're here to tell us about um, a memory uh, of a flight or a series of flights that you had. And I actually know nothing about it. So I'm just going to sit back here and kind of let you tell us the story of, of uh, this logbook memory that you have. So I, um, I will tell you the story of my very first ferry. Um, so I ferry airplanes across the Pacific Ocean, and um, my uh, most of them are single engine. Uh, a lot of them are twin, and I'm getting into more jets now that I have a few type ratings under my belt. Um, but my very first one over the ocean was, um, oh gosh, there's the one over the ocean, or there's my very first international ferry. Which one do you want first? Because both are amazing stories. Why don't you tell us both of them? Okay. I'll tell you my very, very, very first one. So the first, and the, and people ask me all the time, how'd you get into ferry flying? And I just tell people I was a ferry pilot. So I kind of faked it till I made it. Um, and uh, finally, the first job That's offer wait, I wait, got. Wait, 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 wait. All you did was say, I'm a ferry pilot. And they're yeah. like, okay. And, uh, and you got a ferry job. <laughs> yeah. yeah. In fact, um, the I'm first. I'm writing this down. <laughs> <laughs> how to succeed in aviation. That's, that's, that's Just exactly. tell people lies. Um, <laughs> the, Except the F-8. Don't tell them lies. Don't Just tell them lies. Everyone else. Um, the first job offer I got was to take a King Air to Japan, and I'd never flown over the ocean before, and I definitely had no experience in King Airs, so I told them I was busy, so I didn't take that job. But the second one that I got was taking a tomahawk to Mexico. And I'd flown to Mexico before many times. And, um, I never flown a tomahawk before, but I kind of figured I could figure that one out. You know, I, I kind of grew up in aviation in Cessnas and, uh, flown a lot of pipers after I had my ratings. Cause those were the ones that I could rent. So I figured a tomahawk would be pretty doable. I could take it up, you know, f- spend a few hours with it, kind of get a checkout and then take it down to Mexico. So that was, that was the plan. So, um, I was in Southern California. I pick up this tomahawk. It barely had one working VOR. Like you had a tap on it to make sure the thing worked and it was going <laughs> down to a flight school, um, just South of Guadalajara. So because I was completely um, VFR only when you fly down to Mexico. Um, and I don't know if the rules have changed. I haven't flown to Mexico in a while, but 
uh, at the time, this is probably around 2008, 2009, uh, if you are flying IFR, that's really kind of night flying only. So you, if you're going to go VFR, which I could only, I was VFR limited in this airplane, it had to be during the day. So it was going to take me three days to fly this thing from Southern wow. California at a Torrance airport down to um, Guadalajara. So, um, first day, fairly uneventful. I get down to San Diego. I, you know, file customs for the international portion. And then I get down to La Paz, which is in Baja, California. Everything is groovy. Um, the, I stayed overnight. The second day, I was going to try and make it to Puerto Vallarta. And um, I flew. And this is one of those, I, I really needed to not do that. This was probably one of the only times I almost killed myself. And, um, this was, uh, I, I started flying. I'm fairly low. I'm probably around like eight or 9,000 feet. And I, um, uh, you're not in radar coverage. So I don't know if you've ever not, if you've ever flown outside of radar coverage, it's very strange. Um, when you report to towers at airports, you have to tell them your longitude and latitude or what your distance is off of a VOR because they really have no visual of you. They have no idea where you are because they don't have a radar. So, so you um, No, no, I'm VFR, oh. but I still have to tell them where oh. I'm at. Okay. And, um, and in, in Mexico, everything is filed before you take off. So when I left La Paz, I had to say, my flight plan is from La Paz to Puerto Vallarta. It's going to take me three and a half hours and I'm going to land at this time. Like I have to file all of that ahead of time and they will watch me. And the way they watch me is by me reporting at those towers along the way. So, um, so I'm reporting. But as I'm flying from Baja, California over to mainland Mexico, I've got to cross that, that water there. And there's this like marine layer. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And instead of me changing my altitude from my flight plan like I should have done um, and getting down under the clouds, I'm assuming that the marine layer is going to lift eventually. I still have two more hours of flying. So... Um, it never lifts. And in fact, it gets worse. So I never get into IMC, thank God. Um, but I did have to descend through this cloud layer. And I am not on an IFR flight plan. So I'm starting to make my way down to Puerto Vallarta. I'm realizing, you know, the, the can, we, can we cuss on, on the radio? Sure. It's a storm. Yeah. You blo block it out. But it, I am in a storm right now uh, that I put myself in. So there's a really bad situation. So I'm like, okay, fine. I'm going to give myself an IFR clearance. So I looked at the charts. I looked at the obstacles. I looked at where the mountains were. I kept myself over the water because I knew that I wasn't going to have any obstacles over there. And I started the descent. And I'm literally reading the instruments that my AAA, you know, airspeed, you know how when you do your instrument training, you've got your scan. I am saying my scan out loud the whole time. And I am That's just funny. repeating That's it. That's what I'm working on right now. Nice. Um, well, I'm just, and, just getting started myself. So, but yeah, the scan is so the biggest thing. Is that biggest I'm thing. On. Yep. And, and I'm in a barely IFR qualified airplane 
to be doing this. I've got three instruments in front of me, which is my life. Um, it's 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 my uh, you know my what do you call those things that you throw out to people when they fall out of a boat. Life uh, raft. Life, 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 preserver. <laughs> life preserver. That's what these three instruments are for me. So it's airspeed, al- attitude, altitude, you know, all day long. And I'm saying it out loud, out loud. And I'm cursing myself inside my head. But I'm like, hey, if you got to do this, you got to do this. So I did it. And I got down, I got below the cloud layer, I was perfectly safe, I, you know, wiped the sweat off my brow, continued to Puerto Vallarta, landed perfectly safely, everything was fine, stayed overnight with the intent of leaving the following morning, and this lovely cloud layer was out and about. And I was told, because they don't really have that great of weather systems there, but I was told that I could um, get out of this, you know, it was just kind of hovering around the bay of Puerto Vallarta. So I would just fly out of it, you know, within five minutes. And I would, if I just stay underneath the clouds and just follow the coastline, keep it off of my left wing, then I would totally be clear. Well, I departed and I... Um, followed the coastline and I've got like a little 496 GPS, a little Garmin with me that I have mounted. So that's like my, um, uh, another little life preserver that I have with me. But I all of a sudden get into IMC. It's my first time in freaking IMC on this flight. I'm two and a half days in and I'm like, nope, this isn't happening. So I turn around, fly back into the bay and land back at Puerto Vallarta and I'm grounded for two days um, in PV, which is like, hey, vacation. So I had a great time. Um, And then (laughs) once the weather lifted, I flew it down to um, the airport uh, outside of Guadalajara delivered it to the flight school. They were super excited to get their tomahawk. And I go into the office um, of the owner of this flight school who I had just brought this airplane down to. And he is so excited to see the airplane. And I'm thinking, what a dog of an airplane. Like it doesn't have any equipment. What are they going to do in training this thing? And he pulls out of his drawer. And mind you, this is like 2009. So this is like big time technology for the time. But he, uh, he pulls out a Garmin 430 WAS. And I'm, and he's like, I'm going to put this in my new airplane that you just brought down. And that's what we're going to train people in. And I'm thinking to myself, that piece of instrument is totally worth more than that entire airplane. Yeah. And you couldn't have done that while I was in the States. I know, right? So, so I flew down with it. <laughs> what a long that might have been useful that. on my way could have been down useful. here. Yeah. yeah. So in the United States, if you found yourself in that situation and you were above those clouds, the all you have to do is call flight service, file a flight uh, an IFR flight plan, then get back on the the approach or center control and activate your IFR flight plan. But you're in Mexico, and it just I'm guessing it just doesn't work that way. No, that doesn't exist. Not at all. What doesn't exist? Um, filing flight plans in the air like that and picking up IFR clearances like that in the air, doing all of the things while you're in the air. That doesn't exist. So what you're talking about, everything was done ahead of time was literally yeah. everything. You have to, to do and plan everything ahead of time before you gotcha. depart. Yeah. That's crazy to me. Yeah, wow. It's a very different system in Mexico. All right. So first question, <laughs> is that before we go on to number two, 
what would you have done different? What, what did you learn? What did you learn from this lesson? <laughs> what, was, what was there that you actually learned from this? I don't know. This, this um, is hard to... Uh, I think I, there's anything. I don't even know how you can... <laughs> well, um, definitely on the first cloud layer that I uh, got myself into, I should have, because I saw it way out ahead of me, so I should have just started my descent then. And it was, um, it was very easy. I mean, I, I didn't, uh, it wasn't a thick layer. So I, I didn't have to descend very much in order to become VM, you know, in, in VFR again. So in VMC. So I, um, I should have, when I saw it out ahead of me, planned accordingly and gotten myself under the cloud layer and just flew under the clouds the whole rest of the way. I mean, I'm, I'm flying along the shoreline, so I can, I can go as low. I'm not in congested areas, so I, I don't have those altitude restrictions. Um, the only thing I've got to watch out for is birds and whales jumping up at me and maybe an occasional mast <laughs> off a boat. Birds and whales. So. I've never heard of that <laughs> well, they do their migration, you know. Then I, I understand. So. I've never heard of a pilot saying I need to look out for whales. Um, um, but uh, but what, yeah, what I mean, the, the layer out. I mean, do you recall what the cloud layer was at roughly? I mean, if you had uh, to guess, this happened so long ago. But I remember having a solid two thousand feet um, from the base, you know. So it, it was it was not a low cloud layer at all. Yeah. No. Yes, I think I've flown in worse than that. Yeah, yeah, and it was beautiful well, I mean, VFR I, I mean, underneath. I mean, it was underneath gorgeous. It, but yeah, yeah. So I, yeah, no, I. That's what I should have done. That was poor decision making on my part. Um, and then uh, with regards to departing out of Puerto Vallarta and just keeping the island or keeping the the land off my left wing, well, that was a silly, silly advice that I took. So I, um, I just, I don't do that. <laughs> That, probably that won't happen and again. And trusting the guy at the FBO said, no, no, just keep the, yeah, just keep yeah. the, keep the sea here and the <laughs> land here and you'll be fine. You'll be fine. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> so how do you, how would you do this in the future leaving there? I mean, are there better weather products now in Mexico where you could look and see the forecast and the radar and, you know, we have, you know, METARs and TAFs and, you know, I mean, do you, well, well, if, if you found port, yourself the in the same situation, um, <laughs> What was that? So the plane's got a 430 now, so. <laughs> so it's if all good. So if you found yourself, though, at Puerto Vallarta again, and, mm-hmm. like, it's socked in, and somebody says, oh, yeah, you just, you'll fly right out of it. I mean, how, how do you know today, in 2018, like, how would you, what would, what would you do to prepare for that flight the next time? Uh, well, I, I would only, if I had an airplane that limited, I would leave it to VFR only. So um, there's a few things, and I actually did this on my last ferry flight, and a lot of people gave me flack over it on social media. They were wondering um, why I wanted to depart in VFR conditions. I had a perfectly good IFR-equipped, what was it? It was a 210, and it was a beautiful airplane. It was almost brand new. It was only a couple years old. Um, it had a great Garmin system in it, you know, the whole G1000 and everything. I had radar, I had storm scope, I had all sorts of stuff. But I'm operating 130% over gross. So I've got all these ferry tanks in it. The plane's going to climb like a dog. I'm going to hear the stall warning horn when I'm, um, you know, climbing out at 100 feet a minute on takeoff. And 
I was out of uh, Central California, Santa Maria area, um, where you get some really thick radiation fog in the mornings, and it doesn't burn off sometimes until 10 o'clock. So here I am in a perfectly brand new, uh, great aircraft, and I had posted, I'm waiting for this cloud layer to lift so I can depart. And everybody's like, well, you're on an IFR flight plan. You're ferrying it to Hawaii. So why don't you just depart? Well, you can mitigate factors when you take a flight. And I'm already operating an airplane over gross. Um, I'm, I'm going cross, you know, ocean, oceanic crossing. So I've got about 15 plus hours that I'm going to be flying. The last thing I want to do is pile on risks at the very beginning of the flight. And if you haven't gotten into your instrument training yet, once you do, you know that you have minimum climbs on departure procedures. You have to maintain certain climbs. So I'm not going to be able to do that when I'm operating that heavy. I'm going to stall the airplane. So it was. it's just kind of funny when you know, people are like, oh, well, you know, you could, you, the plane's capable, so just go. And it's like, well, let's take the whole thing into consideration because when we learn in our basic private pilot training, we've got several risk factors and everybody has it in different methods. You've got the cheese method and you've got the pace method and you've got all these different things that we learn. And it's not just about the airplane and what equipment you have. It is the environment. It is the, um, the terrain. It's you, um, your I'm safe checklist. It's all these other things. So uh, if I were stuck in Puerto Vallarta with an airplane that was just, that was as capable as that Tomahawk, but my iPad and, you know, all of my systems and my foreflight and everything else had radar and I could make a call and I can see all the best weather in the world, I still might not go because there's other factors that come into play. Um, a question just for, and uh, just because I'm curious, if you're taking off with ferry tanks and you're doing, you know, 130% over gross, um, can you land immediately or do you have to actually burn off a bunch of gas before you can safely land without overstressing the aircraft? I got to burn off a bunch of gas. And I had to do that one time. Um, here's another logbook memory. I ferried a Bonanza to Hawaii and um, it's unfortunately, and I know Bonanza lovers are going to hate me for saying this. I will never buy a Bonanza because of the door. Um, I've had that door pop on me more times and um, people are like, well, you're just not latching it right. You can totally see it. You can totally hear it. You can feel it, blah, blah, blah. Well, when I ferry an airplane, I've got a massive aluminum tank in the co-pilot seat. So when I shut that door, I actually have to have somebody from the outside of the airplane shut the door for me because I can't shut it myself because it hits up against the tank. Not hits up, but it's really close. So I departed. Um I forget what airport it was out of, but uh, somewhere in in California for um, a Trans-Pacific, and the door popped. And here I am, 130% over gross. Um, I had to circle for two hours to burn off the fuel before I could land. Wow. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Dave had another question, but I thought, so my question is, you take off at 130% over gross. Is that legal? It is. with a ferry permit? Yeah, with a ferry permit. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, is that defined as to how heavy you will be or could be? Is there a limit? The limit is 130. Okay. 
Yeah. So I've I've taken off with less than um, 130% overgross, but I always do my planning according to that calculation because it's the most conservative. Okay. Right on. So uh, you mentioned another flight where you went uh, internationally, but over the ocean. Want to tell us about that one? Sure. So um, that was a flight of two, and this was my first Pacific crossing as a ferry pilot, and I was doing it with um, another pilot. He and I, it was a flight of two airplanes. Um, They were two tens, and uh, he was in one and I was in the other. Um, We, uh, I think we we got our fuel out of Stockton or Oakland or something like that and just started crossing. We were about two hours in to the flight. And this is, again, it's like a 14 plus 15 plus hour flight. And um, I was super, super excited because I'd done all these land ferries and I'd never done a Trans-Pacific. Um, but uh, and where, where are you ferrying this plane to? It's eventually going to go to Australia. but um, and, and you're going to go via... Hawaii, and then American Samoa, uh, Pango Pango, and then Brisbane, Australia, and then to the destination. Okay. And you're doing the entire flight? Uh, yeah. Yeah, we were going to do okay. the entire flight. All right. So, um, so that whole journey is going to take about a week to two weeks. Um, so, but this one was our first day, and, uh, and we had already been at the airport doing the test flying, making sure the HF radio that was installed was working, making sure all the fuel tanks were feeding fuel properly to the, uh, was it feeding to the engine? I think in this particular setup, you can have ferry tanks feed to the engine or feed to the wings, and then the wings just feed to the engine. I think in this setup, it was fed right to the engine. So you want to test all of those systems first um, before you go. And so everything was working great. We were, you know, flying these airplanes for a couple days before we were launching and everything looked fine. So we both launched. We're held at about, I think we were flight planned at around 6,000 feet because the winds, the, you, can, you have to be at 6,000 minimum to cross the Pacific. Um, it is an IFR flight plan at 6,000 feet. You're in a flight level, flight level 060. And, really? Um, yep. And when you, uh, if you ever want to see the routes of ferry flights, look up a high altitude IFR chart for California to Hawaii. You'll see all the routes. Um, so we're on one of these routes. Interesting. Yep. And uh, 6,000 feet or flight level 060. And uh, the reason we wanted to stay that low was because the winds going towards California were really really heavy. So we were in a headwind for a good chunk of the first part of the flight. So we, uh, we stayed low and, um, the other pilot, uh, we're on a common frequency, him and I, and he's like, how's everything going over there? And I'm like, it's pretty good. Uh, he's like, he's asked me what my airspeed was. And I told him and he said, what's your altitude reading? And I said, it's reading 6,000 on the, on the dot. And I said, why, what's yours reading? I had asked him what his airspeed was reading. We were the same airspeed, but he said that his altitude was reading 600 feet. And I was like, well, that's weird because I'm looking at him. He's off my wing. We're a flight of two. We're in a very loose formation. Um, So he's obviously not at 600 feet. He's he's at 5,400 feet below you. Yeah, exactly. But I can see him right off my left. 
So, um, so we decided to turn back around because he obviously has some type of blockage in his pedostatic system. So we turn around and Dave, to your question about burning off the fuel, we had already been two hours out. We're going to be two hours going back, probably about an hour and a half with the tailwind now. Uh, so we were fine with landing. We weren't going to land over the gross weight, um, the max gross weight. So we okay. land and we're hanging out at the FBO. The uh, mechanic is checking out the pedostatic system on his airplane. And the fueler from the FBO comes in after he had refueled our airplanes. And he's like, the one with the black wheel pants is all fueled up. Well, neither of us had airplanes that had black fuel, um, um, what do you call it, wheel pants on them. Uh, we had a yellow, I had a yellow airplane, and I think his was like red and white. So we were kind of confused. What are you talking about? And so we go outside, and it's my aircraft that I was flying. The wheel pant on the nose was covered in oil. Nice. Covered in oil, dripping in oil. And he just thought it was a black wheel pant. He hadn't looked close enough to see that it was like overrun with oil. Turned out that we had a major oil leak in the airplane I was flying. And it was about down to two quarts by the time that we had landed. Oh, wow. So had... After four hours and you were looking yep, at what? how long of a flight? 15. I would have been put in yeah. the ocean. So oh, yeah. had he not had the pedostatic issue, we wouldn't have turned around. Think about that. No, That's I crazy. I don't want to. Right? I don't want to know how often you do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I found out what ended up happening with that airplane. And if I ever, if I ever find the mechanic who had done what this mechanic had done, I will, I will, I, I may not be able to fly again. Winter is coming, totally. Um, but it turned out that the oil pan had been sealed with fuel sealant, not proper sealant. So the oil ate right through it. Oh, wow. That's so, crazy it was, a, it was just a stupid mistake that some mechanic had done. An oversight. I don't know what it was. But, you wow. know. So, yeah. What happened with his pedo? Static with his static tube. So that got cleared. Um, that was ready to go that day. Um, but my airplane was grounded because um, they had to uh, uh, obviously reattach the oil pan and do all these other things. So um, I never ended up taking that airplane anymore. <laughs> so it was oh, going to be. You didn't do the flight at all? I didn't do the flight at all. I left it at that maintenance hangar because. I had allotted uh, a week or two to get this ferry done, and um, now it was looking like it was going to be delayed uh, a possible three weeks, uh, maybe more. And so that was outside of my schedule. I had something else to, to move, so I had to go go take care of them. So, so did the other guy never did it. that you were with, did he, go, did he finish his flight with that plane? Uh, they decided to keep the two airplanes together for the flight. So I think he did finish it and they just had another pilot come in for the other flight for the other. Okay. Plane. But he didn't do it on his own. They still did no, a flight like, at two at some point. Yeah. Yeah. They still did a flight at two. Yeah. Okay. So since, um, since then you've done other, other, uh, over oh, trans Pacific flights over, over ocean flights, mm -hmm. um, 
and you mentioned maybe some of some twins, but what was the lesson that you learned in this? And, you know, on the outside, I would think, okay, never take a single inch in aircraft over the ocean without doing at least a flight of two. Right. But I mean, <laughs> I don't know what, what, what is the, what's the takeaway from this? Um, really, I don't know if there was a particular issue that we would have been, I don't know if I would have been able to find that issue without decaling and knowing what fuel sealant looked like instead of oil, you know, something that was the proper sealant. Um, I do decal airplanes now on, uh, when I inspect them just to make sure everything's connected. Cause when you, when I ferry an airplane, it typically is because somebody just purchased it. So there was a pre-buy inspection done on it. There was most likely an annual done on it. And there often is the, um, for the ferry permit, there's other inspections that the FAA does to sign off, you know, on the, on the HF radio install and on the ferry tanks. So the plane has gone through a lot of hands before it gets to mine. And um, most of them are, are qualified. I've never found an issue like that again, um, but I've definitely found issues. And uh, I, I usually do a minimum of five hours of test flying with all the systems working at capacity before I ferry an airplane. And there's some companies that are like, why would you fly it for five hours? Why not just do two hours? Or why even test it at all? And I'm like, well, no, let's let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's not get crazy here, guys. We do need to test the airplane. But I'm much more conservative with my testing um, because of some of these things that have happened. And so I can only control what I can control. And I'm not a mechanic, even though I do want to get my AMP eventually. Um, I, uh, I, I'm going to do whatever's within my power because I want to get the airplane there safely. I want to get myself there safely. Um, I've never put an airplane in the water. I've never, other than that turnaround, um, and a popped door, I've never had another turnaround. Um, so those are all good things. I mean, when people call me to ferry an airplane now, it's because they know I'm going to get the job done. Um, you'd be surprised at how many airplanes I pick up that somebody flew it there. They didn't quite understand the systems or they, or they thought it was a dog of an airplane and they couldn't, they couldn't fly it right. And they just left it. They left it in Hawaii. They left it in Guam. They left it in Saipan. They left it in American Samoa and they just left it and said, screw this. I'm out. I'm going home. Go find yourself a new ferry pilot. And then I get the call. So, <laughs> so just speaking from a point of ignorance here as a as a student pilot what is what's a ferry pilot you know what's a contract look like i mean when you say i'm going to fly this thing for 5 hours i mean do, is that an agreement that's written up and you say look i'm going to do this but you're covering all the flight time including up to 5 hours of fl- i mean how does that look well i really do just try to limit myself to just being the pilot So I don't do installs of any systems. I don't arrange paperwork with the FAA. I don't do any of that kind of stuff. That's on the operator or the owner or, you know, those guys, not me. What I want to do is I want to show up, make sure the paperwork is in order so I can legally fly it, and then test fly it and go. And so what I do is I will quote accordingly to that. And that might be a day rate. It might be a trip rate. Um, it depends on the airplane. It depends on the destination. Um, you know, taking an airplane to the Middle East is going to be a lot different than taking an airplane to Australia. 
Um, so uh, uh, taking an airplane down to Guadalajara is going to be a lot different it's than taking different an airplane than to Europe. Going to Detroit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so it, that's that's my service. That's what I do. Is I am strictly the pilot. Cool. That's fair. Yeah. Neat. Keeps it simple for me too. Yeah, I like it. That sounds like it, it sounds like fun because you know you kind of never know what you're going to get into until totally. you get there. And yeah. even when you get there, you still don't know what surprises you're going to get. So. Absolutely. As long as you can mitigate risk, like we talked about that in the beginning, this sure. is all about mitigating risk. Um, you know, we don't – pilots, by the very nature that we're taking a machine away from the relative safety of the, the, the place gravity stops working, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we're going into the air where it has a much more effect. You know, we're, we're, we're not risk – Averse because you know flying is risky, but we do mitigate risk appropriately, and I think exactly. that that's what you're doing. So, yeah. Um, tell us about uh, Abingdon Watch Company and where people can find information about that. Um, okay, well, the AbingdonCo.com is our place. Uh, that's our website. We're also on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and Pinterest and all the other social medias. So definitely want to follow us on there because we do have some great promotions. We've got some really, really good ideas if you're looking for the for Valentine's Day and you want to get uh, your, your lady a, a really nice present. Abingdon Watch has never disappointed, so definitely um, give a shout out for that. But uh, but yeah, theabingdonco.com. Uh, I'll spell it to you like a pilot if you want. Well, since you since your <laughs> your peoples are pilots, your listeners. Um, yeah, we'll put it in the show notes for sure. For sure. <laughs> uh, so Tango Hotel Echo Alpha Bravo India November Golf Delta. Oscar November, charlieoscar.com. Sweet. Well, cool. You've practiced that before, haven't you? A little bit. Everybody a wants couple. to spell Abington uh, slightly different than how it is, okay. but there's it's... There's an I, there's a T, there's a... There's no T, there's no T, Mike. No, no I know, I know, I know. I'm, I'm joking, yeah, I know. Yes, Everyone you're spelling it like everybody stuff. else. But no. D like, like do it right. <laughs> do you like David? Yeah, Come on, David. David. No, I like, I like David. That's, that's kind of hot. I like He's that. right here. <laughs> you know, you can goodness. talk about me while I'm here. It's okay. Looking at this. Oh, Abingdon, thank you so much for joining us here on Logbook Memories. This has been a lot of fun and um, very educational. Like I, you know, I, I, I imagine that the. The, the life of a very pilot is a bit like what you're describing. And of course, you know, you've probably had many, many, many fairy adventures that didn't really, that were uneventful. And I think that's awesome. Um, but it, like every flight, you always learn something from every single flight you do. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Absolutely. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to, to share some of your adventures with us here on Logbook Memories. Anything else we should uh, say or ask before we let you go? Well, uh, yeah, I have a hundred things, but right now, I I just want to let you know that when we see you at that Sun and Fun, we're going to do another episode with you. Okay, would love to. Okay. And yeah. we just want to do, and this one's going to be a fun one. Just your favorite flight ever. Cool. I will you have got it. all and the recording the equipment, and we will do it. Nice. Yes. I'm in. All right. At the cool. station with with T sixes flying behind us in the background. Boom. Yes. Thanks so much, Abingdon, for joining us here. We will uh, 
we'll be looking forward to the next time we have you on the show. Appreciate it so much. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Logbook Memories. If you'd like to share a memory from your logbook, drop us an email to stories at logbookmemories.com. That's stories at logbookmemories.com. And since we are just starting out, it would mean the world to us if you left a five-star rating on iTunes. And if you really want to help us out, maybe write a short review telling the world how awesome we are. Don't forget to share us with your friends. We'll catch you on the next episode of Logbook Memories.